my number one rule is hope for the best, plan for the worst. It's an Arsenal Thing podcast with your hosts, Tom, Silent Dave, Isaiah, and Jay. Fun, football, and conversation. Welcome to It's an Arsenal Thing podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and I'm once again in the company of the man who keeps secrets for fun and whispers into darkened rooms as a recreational hobby. It's Silent Dave. How are you, Podders? Hope you're well. It's been an interesting week so far with Manchester United having secured the services of Cristiano Ronaldo, which was part of a dramatic and covert last-minute deal to snatch him away from rivals Manchester City. United used Sir Alex of the Ferguson to seal the deal with an awkward-looking cuddle that cost just £20 The news came as trainee manager Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was attending a teacup-throwing and boot-kicking class in an effort to make him more manageable. Ronaldo, let's refresh our memories, scored 118 goals in 292 appearances for the club between 2003 to 2009, winning three Premier League titles and a Champions League. Meanwhile, by comparison, Spanish Michael was busy trying to offload the free-legged Buffon known as William to any club who hadn't seen any of the Arsenal games last season. William, you'll know, was subjected to criticism after liking Chelsea players' comments on Twitter. What? The treacherous loafer. Insult to injury, he then deleted Arsenal from his profile. If only Arsenal could return the favour. Those figures of Cristiano Ronaldo's are absolute piffle compared to Williams' 25 appearances and one goal scored. Officially, he's now the worst ever purchase in Arsenal history, surely. No arguments about it. God knows he's had some stiff competition, but it just goes to show if you don't work hard or put any effort in, you can achieve great things. In other news, El Nenny had been on the verge of joining Frankfurt Wolfsberger, but failed the medical because he kept passing the ball backwards or sideways. Apparently, the operation to reverse the directional negativity was thought to be too expensive. Elsewhere, West Ham have completed the signing of Zuma. David Moyes is said to still be interested in Marshall Chase, Rubble, Rocky, Sky and Everest. Ooh, one for the parents of the small people. 
Podcast 22, Season 2, is called Granite Xhaka Wazd on My Cornflakes, a reference to the moment when the Swiss Combine Harvester added yet another red card to his collection and made fans wish he'd been snapped up by Jose Mourinho for less than the price of a pint and a pickled egg. He wasn't exclusively at fault for the embarrassing visit to the Etihad, but he didn't really help matters either. On a packed platter of football fair, we report on the clash between a Foden-less and De Bruyne-less mighty Manchester City and Arsenal. Oh, it was a tale of misfortune and absolute shiteness. Isaiah will give you all the grisly details on American Arsenology. Jay joins me in the gun room for another in-depth chat on all things Arsenal. What's the mood after Saturday? What are the priorities now? Can it get better? It has to, doesn't it? We're going to try to find some positives in a basement full of negatives. Strap in, hold on tight, and we'll try to non-surgically put a smile on the face of every beleaguered fan. Our special guest tonight is Tony McDonald, who's the editor of a new 264-page book called Highbury Memories, which is exclusively written by fans recalling their favourite Highbury moments. It's got non-syndicated, never-before-seen pictures, contains profiles, pictures of programmes, shirts and other magic moments. The telephone call that tied up the line for hours and hours. Not now, Perry. It's a wonderful present with Christmas looming and we'll give you the details of where you can pick it up. There's another round of Who Am I? and the musical icon slot. Plus your verdict on the half and half scarf and uh, the 90-minutes list that had shovel-handed Pat Jennings at number 14, Petacek at 16 and David Seaman at 25 in the 25 greatest goalkeepers of all time. Check better than Seaman I'm used in a thespian-type way. We asked you who was better and we have the results. Why don't you send us a shout-out for the fan in your life or just say hello? You can do that via an MP3 message and then send it to it's an Arsenal thing for at gmail.com or you can have a little grumble. Why don't you have a little grumble about something? There's plenty to choose from, isn't there? Also, fanchance.com. They have a brilliant range of personalised e-cards for the football fan in your life. Pick a card cover, select a chant from the club of your choice, and there you go. It's about 69 pence. Uh, they're friends of the show, and I really want them to succeed. So if you could uh, do me a favour, look them up, and if you've got anything like an anniversary or something like that coming up, why don't you give them a look? Hi, I'm Brandon Murphy, from the land that gave you the ultimate shopping experience. Deluxe breast augmentation, automatic weapons, carjacking, Thanksgiving, and Robert Downey Jr., we bring you a bulging backpack of spectacular foosball entertainment in American Arsenology. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to American Arsenology. Brought to you by talented young Belgian. I've energized the midfield, and then I was dropped. I'm your host, Sambi Lokonga, and now, tonight's top stories. Welcome back, Migunas and Migunarets. It has been a bizarre day. Arsenal were fully embarrassed 5-0 at the city of Manchester Stadium on Saturday. It was calamitous 
from the opening whistle. Apart from five minutes of the good old-fashioned sustained pressure, this was alarming, folks. <laughs> Let's get right into it. The opening storyboard of this one was filled with statistical analysis and data that was not good for Arsenal. Failing to score, being winless. It was the first time in one zillion years. And as Jim Proudfoot so aptly put it, Arsenal were in uncharted waters. For the first time in Arsenal's history, they're goalless and pointless after two league games. And they were turbulent. As Mikel Arteta faced off against his Jedi master, Pep Guardiola, who was sporting a grey Man City sweatshirt and kicking back in his chair with a little drink with an umbrella in it. It was off to the side, but if you looked hard enough, it was there. If you like pina coladas It was just the seventh minute of the match when Arsenal would go down from a headed goal from one Ilkay Gundogan. The culprits at the back, well, it was the milkman. It was Callum Chambers displaying his poor heading, his lack of intensity, all the things we have discussed here on the program for several, several months. Listen, folks, we did not want to break the news to you about Chambers, about holding, but we did several, several times, several, several months ago and to this day. The fact remains, before going any further in this match, that the decision by one Mikel Arteta to place his faith in Holdini and the Milkman and Pablo Mari, the three... The milkman Holdini and Mari placing his faith in this trio of defenders and jettisoning, jettisoning Mr. Big Bill William Saliba off to France for another season will go down as one of the worst managerial mistakes of any first-time manager. Mark my words. Over the line! Huh? I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. Bullshit. Market eight, dude. Uh, excuse me. Market zero. Next frame. Bullshit. And back to the match it was a truly bizarre lineup. Yes, it was Chambers and Holding, the Milkman and Holdini, but you shall love this, folks. It was a recall for one Sehad Kolasinak. You can't write this stuff, folks. Recalled in a back three with Kirantini sleevelessly on the left and Cedric. Yes, Rick Moranis Saurez patrolling the right flank. If ever there were a mediocre back line, that is it. 
Poor Mr. Tierney, what has he gotten himself into? In front of them, it was Mr. Granny Chaka, the unsettled Swiss man who we have spoken about at length in the past two episodes. Keep a lookout on Shaka and this one, folks. And Mr. Martin Udigard was registered and installed in the lineup, proving that he is one of Arteta's main men, as has been pointed out additionally in a recent blog online that you may read with your eyes and your brain. Yes, on the right it was Bukayo Saka and... Our number 10, Emil Smith-Rowe, playing the left channel. Up top, it was the Cabernese hitman, the newly recharged hat-trick hero. Okay. Yes, of course, it was of note that Udigard's inclusion meant that Mr. Nicolas Pepe did not feature, folks. There was no place for Pepe in this starting 11. Very no. good. You know something? No soup for you! Come back! One year! Next. Nor was there room for him on the bench. Not even in the side. Well, folks, as previously predicted, Martin Ooh. Udigard, his permanent signing may signal the eventual departure of one Nico Pepe. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think Udigard's arrival is bad news for Pepe. After the capitulation in the seventh minute of play on another poor, poor challenge for a header in Arsenal's six-yard area, the wind was gone. The sails were limp. And it was here we go again. Here we go again. Here we go, here we go. It was predictable. However, what Arteta was thinking with his lineup, I do not know who knows. Perhaps Albert Stuvenberg knows. Perhaps he's getting messages from God through his Bluetooth earpiece. I do not think that is the case. I'm not sure many people, including Mikel Arteta, Knows how to manage this moment. Knows how to manage this team. His inexperience is bubbling to the surface, game by game. In some ways, you feel sorry for the manager looking at his face when the most easiest of soccer and football techniques should be sorted out by well-paid professional players. But that was not the case. This is Arsenal. And in the 10th minute, there could have been another goal. If not for a good reflex save from the orange-wearing orangeman, Mr. Pan Leno. 
Arsenal were retreating deeper and deeper, scared as could be. I see dead people. In your dreams? While you're awake? And in the 12th minute, a moment of unbridled embarrassment. It was a routine city set piece designed to change the angle of the trajectory of the free kick. When the ball was played back in, folks, it was a calamity of errors. It was a comedy of errors. It was embarrassing. As one ball beat three Arsenal defenders to find a wide-open Ferran Torres. Meanwhile, simultaneously, Mr. Callum Milkman Chambers was writhing in agony on the turf. The still images are something else, folks. I urge you to take a look, but do not do so on an empty stomach, as your stomach will be turned. This is one of the worst goals Arsenal have given up in quite a while. What if this is as good as it gets? Oh. It was going to be one of those kind of days. It was here we go again. There was more Man City pressure as the citizens should have scored again. But Arsenal will let off the hook. And indeed, perhaps the greatest chance for Arsenal of this match, ladies and gentlemen, in the 20th minute. It was a big moment. As Mr. Emil Smith-Rowe, the Smith, pressed one neck-tattooed banana hammock-wearing Edison, forcing the Brazilian to misplay his kick. As... ESR's deflection nearly crept home inside the post. It was as close as we would come in this one, ladies and gentlemen. And if that isn't embarrassing, I do not know what is. Short while later, there was a yellow card for Rick Moranis, Cedric Saudes. And in the 26th, Mr. Granny Chaka had a shot, but was ruled to be offside, so it did not count in the statistical book or anywhere else. Arsenal's defense was floundering. It was confused, unorganized, and looked like it had been thrown together over supper one night. <gasps> My stomach clock just went off. It's supper time. And Charlie Brown has forgotten to feed me. <sighs> Here I lie. But in some ways it felt like the last supper. As the tactical disaster class was about to come home to roost. Yeah, they come to the rooster yes in the 35th a massive flashpoint 
involving Granny Chaka. For those of you who've listened to the first two episodes of American Arsenology, you will recall that we have stated that Granny Chaka is not and does not look a settled player. Well, this was not a surprise. Arsenal were down 2-0. Shaka surely was thinking, I could have been in Rome. He looked like he wanted to be sent off, folks. I hate to say that about a player that I have lent support to. For all his failings, we have supported him. He looked like he wanted to be sent off in this one. That is disturbing. That is alarming. Listen, there is a big, big, big takeaway coming from this one. And that is the omission of one Sam Pilokonga. get there but the ease at which City were playing around Martin Udigard and Granit Xhaka was alarming and another check of a box that illustrated the disaster class of a tactical setup yes before going down to 10 men Arsenal were nowhere clear of City. I can't even sniff their boots, folks. I don't think City played particularly well in the first 20 minutes of this game. Arsenal were just that bad shooting themselves all over their rob holding feet. But Chaka wanted to go, folks. And go he did. Now listen, 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 listen. It was another blunder from the referees. They are taking their toll. More conspiring of the football guards, or as they are known, English referees. This was another bad one, folks. It was a soft red. We have felt somewhat lenient about previous calls for fouls, penalties, etc. This was a soft one. Should he have gone in with two feet, there was intent... I understand that. However, it was soft. Had it been another team, would he have been sent off? Probably not, folks. We are Arsenal. And naturally, things would get worse for Arsenal. In the 42nd, another goal. 3-0 Arsenal. As Mr. Jack Grealish... Another hundred million pound man did the business to three. One, two, three Arsenal defenders. It was a tap in for Gabriel Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let me tell you something, Pandeo. You pull any of your crazy shit with us, you flash a piece out on the lanes. I'll take it away from you and stick it up your ass and pull the fucking trigger till it goes click. 
Jesus. It was an abomination. It was awful, folks. And it was the main bit of content to speak to before the thankful coming of the first half's conclusion. key takeaways from the first 45. First, it can only be described as a tactical disaster class by the Spanish manager. It was the throw of the dice. It was a gamble to play the Bosnian Hulk, Sead Kolasinak, as a part of the three at the back. More like five. I do not know what kind of faith was instilled in Arteta by the win over QPR. But apparently he thought it would be wise to play Kolasinac. And he perhaps told Mr. Pablo Mari on the bench that day. Well, who's laughing now? We are not a supporter of Pablo Mari. However, the decision to play Kolasinac was mind-boggling. Was he shopping him in the window for potential suitors, knowing that they would lose to City anyways? This is a real possibility. However, if there is a process... If Arsenal is building something, what is the point of playing Kolasinac unless he's part of that plan? Is he a part of the future? And if so, God help all of us. Second. What more can be said about Holdini and the Milkman that has not already been said on this program? I do not understand why a professional football coach would not recognize what many, many amateurs such as ourselves see and have seen from Chambers and Holding over the years at Arsenal. Hitching the wagon to Holdini and the Milkman, Rob Holding and Callum Chambers by one Mikel Arteta is a abomination. Casting aside William Saliba will haunt the manager for a long, long time. Thirdly, the choice to leave Sambi Lokonga on the bench. Was an odd one. The young man shone brightly versus the Blues of Chelsea. He received a call-up to the full international side with Belgium. Everyone is recognizing his ability. Everyone is singing his praises, including Arteta and Edu for unearthing Zombie. So, as is so typical with Arteta and his lineups, he decides to select 
to my midfield of Udigard and Shaka against Man City. Bizarre. Why drop Sambi? He's been one of the bright, one of the few <laughs> bright moments of our season so far. His ability to adapt to the force and the power of the Premier League. We are Sambi fans. Dropping him was perplexing. Now then, in addition to no Mr. Sambi, there was no room on the bench for Nico Pepe. No room on the side, no room on the bench for the man that produced assists and a goal against QPR. You've heard my piece about what Udigard signing means for Pepe, but let me say this. We still have Pepe as someone who can be Arsenal's top scorer this season. He needs burn. He needs playing time. Perhaps he will not be in Arteta's plans for long. Let's watch that develop. And finally, Arteta had the opportunity to make some kind of a change. Despite being down to 10 men, why not go four at the back? Why not bring on Sambi and play with passion, heart and commitment? I can guarantee you folks there would have been more life in Arsenal if Sambi had come on versus Muhammad Elneny. What were you thinking, Mikel? People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down, when you're strange. The second half began with more confusion and questions to be asked than answers to be had with Bukayo Saka returning to the pine for Muhammad El Neni as previously alluded to. It was Man City that began with verve and vigor, not Arsenal, shockingly, as they could have scored basically from the opening whistle. And indeed, it would only be just a short while later, in the 52nd minute, when one Rodrigo Rodri Rodri would make it four. There was some nice interchange and low technical triangulation on display from Man City. Ping the ball, taking it to Ping City, taking it to Ping Nation, and finished with a plum. By the Spaniard with a low-driven instep that curved and started outside of the post, leaving Bern Leno no chance. And if symbolism is anything, it was the Arsenal fans ironically cheering and celebrating the goal. That is a sign. Of the dark times, the 3,000 in attendance cheering ironically. Sir, your question, please. Mrs. Griffin, what do you plan to do about crime in our city? A lot. <laughs> because that's what Jesus wants. 9-11 was bad. I agree with that. And by the 62nd minute, it could have been much worse. Arsenal could have been down 6-0. 
If not for some poor finishing by City, it likely would have been six. It was an apathetic performance, folks. Truly disturbing. The clock kept ticking, and all of us were ready for it to end. But there were minutes to be played. There were chances to be created by Arsenal. And if it were not for one Burn Leno, this game would have been 10. Literally, this game could have been 10 nil City, folks. Poor finishing and decent saves from Leno kept it respectable. If 5-0 is respectable, that shows you how dark the days we are living in as Arsenal supporters truly are. In the 77th minute, a brilliant through ball to Raheem Sterling. But Bern Leno stood tall and 1v1 versus the England international. Bern Leno made the save. It was more city all the time, everywhere you looked. And in the 84th, it was the final calamity of the match. For Rob Holding and Callum Chambers. This was a rich one, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Folks. Mr. Rihad Mares took a peek into the box. As he drifted in onto his favorite magical left foot. He saw Ferran Torres matched up with Mr. 6-2, Rob Holding. Get this, folks. Holding simply decided to stop playing. Stop tracking the runner. Forget any marking responsibility. And as the cherry on top of his truly pitiful performance with his partner, the milkman, Chambers and holding allowed Ferran Torres to waltz into the box and nod home. It was despicable, folks. It was symptomatic of the culture of comfort that has existed at Arsenal for a very long time. Believe it or not, there were more chances for Manchester City in this one again. It could have been 10. It could have been 12, folks. That is not hyperbole. Yes, Arsenal were down to 10 men. But, folks, I do not think it would have mattered as we witnessed in the first 20, 30 minutes. Prior to Shaka sending off, there was no indication that this disaster class, this type of setup from Arteta would be effective. There was zero signs of that. The game came to its end. Arteta strolled around the pitch in embarrassment, slapping his players high five, low five. We've got to go clap for the supporters. It's what we must do. And as Arteta clapped for the remaining supporters, the image of Arsenal's mighty clash for Man City came to an end, fading to black with an 0-3 start 
to the season and zero goals scored. Final takeaways from the second half of the game before the international break. Leave us all with a bad taste in our mouths for several days. First, to reiterate, no room for Pepe on the bench. No minutes for Gabriela Martinelli. And no room for Balogun the Warlord. On the bench either. What kind of message was this sending? Is Balogun due for a loan? Yes, well, we think it would benefit the young man. Now, a bigger question. One we may not want to look deeper at. Would a loan, in addition to Balogun, be the right move for Gabriel Martinelli? Yes, folks, I said it. Martinelli has shown to be a bit raw in the first two games of the season. As much as we wanted to see him on the pitch here at American Arsenology, he was a bit of a passenger in the opening matches. A loan for Martinelli might be in his best interest if Arteta, as he likely will, sticks with Lacassette and the Gabonese hitman Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Listen, with no Europe, there are not many minutes on offer, and I'm starting to lean towards Martinelli joining Balogun on a loan. Yes, I know it's painful to say that, but I think it might be best. He might work with a better manager, I'm sorry to say. He might learn more and gain valuable experience from playing in matches that matter. That is a big one, folks. Listen, there were three keepers available for this match, two on the bench. But no room for Pepe and no room for Balogun. Very odd. When you consider Kolasinac was called back into the side. Look, today we saw Callum Chambers as a centre-back, something we alluded to in the last episode of the show. But... Although we made the case that Chambers might be a better centre-back than a right-back, we also pointed out his major deficiencies with making that swap, that flippity-flop. You saw today how poor his heading is. You saw how Arsenal never, never were willing to build out of the back from a goal kick, given the defenders on the pitch. They are not technical enough. That is a major problem. And I don't understand it. If you are Mikel Arteta and you want to build, you sign Ben White for 50 million. Why not work on it with players that will be playing with Ben White? It makes no sense. Yes, Bern Leno may have the autonomy to make the call up and in, up and in, up and in. Hoof it long. But it boggles the mind. There is no bravery. There is no plan. And for a system guy named Arteta... Arsenal barely built out of the back anymore. What is going on? Listen, we could keep 
waxing, waxing on and on about this one. Tom would likely remove us from the show. There's many, many issues at hand. In his post-match comments, Arteta made a few interesting remarks. And as the final big takeaway for the Man City Arsenal clash, we're talking about mirrors. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Arteta said his players must take a look in the mirror. One of the reporters asked, Will you also be looking at yourself in the mirror? Will you be combing or parting or not parting your Lego hair? Arteta responded, yes, of course I shall look inward. But will he? Will he force his players to? Will they actually do it? Because right now there are no signs of any mirror looking. The culture of comfort is as strong as ever. It began in the end of the Arsene Wenger era. It carried through Unai Emery, and now it is here, well and truly, full-blooded back, the culture of comfort at Arsenal. It makes little sense, given all the stats being listed about Arsenal being the biggest spenders of the month. Well, listen, Tom. It is time. It is time. Time, 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 time. It's time for Arteta to start with the man in the mirror. It's an Arsenal thing podcast. Fun, football, and conversation. Just a reminder to check out our YouTube version, and in particular, Rewind 89. It's up for grabs about the final match of the 88-89 Football League season, which was contested at Anfield between Liverpool and Arsenal. Spawned the film 89, and you can probably link yourself back to Fever Pitch as well. Um, have a look at that. Please follow, like or subscribe. Now, have you ever thought of a club denouncement form? Yes, apparently there is a form in existence by which you can officially and dramatically withdraw your support for the benefit of Facebook. Yes, waffle-brained, cabbage-headed, flouncy-faced so-called Arsenal fans are taking to FB to seek separation. It gets more dramatic as the A4 sheet goes down with the removal of any images or merchandise associated with the club. So what does that mean? Uh, that, that prize picture of uh, David O'Leary opening the Sainsbury's, that's gone. Take all your, your scarves and your hats and your badges and your Arsenal shirts, take them out in the garden, set fire to them. Ooh, I bet the Cronkies are quaking in their boots. We've hardly lost a physicist, have we? Although one of the call centres abroad might be a man down. Dave's laughing. Hey, got ya. Time then for our iconic musical slot, which features the name of a former or current Arsenal player or players. Have a listen to this. This is bang on the money. Yeah. 
memory David Rocky Roadcastle Seems like yesterday you rocked the show Beef Freeman and shop for go Quick time became a hybrid hero Roadcastle, you got to know that Life ain't always what it seems to be Words can't express what you mean to me Even though you're gone, we're still a team Through the Arsenal, we fulfill your dream In the future, can't wait to see A statue of rock to see Reminisce sometimes, the night that we lost a friend And how I love to see you play again Though you're not here, we feel you near In our hearts and mind, we hold you dear Forever we gon' sing your name I know you're watching in heaven every game
Imagine an egg on face moment of the highest order. Well, Fenerbahce goalscorer Mohamed Gumaskaya went to perform the obligatory kiss of the shirt badge after scoring the only goal to be HJK Helsinki in the first leg of the Europa League qualifier. But you notice there wasn't one. You remember the Europa League. It's a watery version of the Champions League, but narrowly more impressive than the Eurovision Song Contest. Apparently... Apparently, the new Puma Fenerbahce kit has a smaller version of the club's traditional badges, but it's located on the neck. Mmm, kiss that badge. Put some effort in. Come on, chum. Every goal, every disappointment, every good decision and every bad decision. From the first whistle to the final whistle. True or false? True or false? Eric Cantona's ban from football was longer than Diego Maradona's. 30 seconds starts now. Clock, Dave. was false. Eric Cantona was banned for nine months for single-handedly attempting to decapitate a Palace supporter and one assumes Maradona was banned for 15 months for being a short, fat, ugly cheat. It's time for Who Am I? where you have to guess the former Arsenal star by the end of the show. Who am I? I'm a former English professional footballer who played as a midfielder between 1992 and 2007. I spent my career at Arsenal, Middlesbrough and Hull City. I amassed 400 caps and scored 22 times, all of which came during my career with the Gunners. I finally called an end to my career in 2007. Who is it? Answer at the end of the show. It's time to welcome tonight's guest in the dugout. Right, welcome to the dugout. And it's uh, Tony McDonald we've got with us with this fabulous new book out, uh, Highbury Memories. And we're going to be touching on that and talking about football in general. Tony, the first thing that strikes me is you're not an Arsenal fan. What happened there? How did you get involved with this book? Oh, the thing was, Tom, um, I'm, a, I'm a football fan in general, really, first and foremost. My me, me, me dad always brought me up to appreciate the game. So, but, you know, as a, as a kid growing up in Essex, um, Chapel Heath in Essex, I think the first football league ground that my dad took me to was, was Highbury, December 67, um, a 3-0 home win over Forest on the 23rd of December. George Graham 2, George Armstrong 1. I love George Armstrong because um, my dad was the left winger. He played for West Ham U from reserves and, and Lake Orient in the first team. And he always wore 11. He was a winger. And I suppose George Armstrong, being a, a little guy as a kid, you sort of you could relate to him more, couldn't you? And um, he was eye-catching. Uh, so he was my first sort of favourite, if you like. And so I went over Highbury a few times. But growing up in that part of the world, 
invariably your classmates mainly supported West Ham and the training ground was around the corner in Chapel Heath. And I guess more us than Peters, you just sort of fell into it, really. Um, also support the O's coming from East London because they were my dad's team as well. So, um, funny enough, the old man's last game in the first division, 1962-63, was at Highbury. Um, he was dropped after that. Or he lost 2-0 at Highbury. And they, he never played another first division game. Mm. Um, and they got relegated at the end of that season. So, there's a, there's a Highbury connection. So, this um, book... How many contributors are in there? Because it's uh, let me explain to everyone that there's a collection of stories, recollections, uh, memories about Highbury and Arsenal Football Club. How many contributors did you have? Over 200 in the end. Um, it was a long haul because we started, I started putting the word out seven years ago, 2014. That's when the idea was first, um, sort of put out there and, um, tried to get in some, just basically put up a questionnaire, gave out flyers at the Emirates uh, on a match day. Uh, we had a group of us did that to try and get a response. And it was very slow, to be honest. And I thought for a while, for a couple of years, I didn't think it would happen. Really wanted to do it because we started off, we did uh, Brisbane Road Memories, similar type of format on Orient. We did Upton Park Memories, obviously, it goes without saying what that means. And then, you know, Highbury being Highbury, um, fantastic historic place um, steeped in history I really wanted to do that um, and, I, and I thought it was something that it needed to be preserved uh, but I want it to be by the fans I didn't want it there's, there's been loads of books on Highbury and on Arsenal written by authors journalists um, renowned authors and, and I didn't want it to be just another one of those I wanted it to be come from the heart if you like and, and, and fans sort of it, get their fans' emotions across. It's quite sad, isn't it, really? Because you look at uh, some of the grounds, you're talking about West Ham, um, you know, when their ground, they, they called it the bowling ground at the end, but for me, it was always Upton <laughs> Park. Um, <laughs> but all these small grounds are, are disappearing. Uh, not that Arsenal's was uh, particularly small or anything, but it had a certain charm. And I think that's what we're losing with these big, big stadiums. Uh, we're losing the charm. Uh, that you first found when you were a kid. And it's so important that books like this are written. So what do you class yourself then? As uh, Are you the the overall editor that you've, you've got all these? Yeah, I, I just found the editor. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even claim to be the author because, as I say, it's written by and for the fans. It's written by supporters, genuine supporters. It's not written by me. I think I've got a few lines in there. I think it was about the Sheffield Wednesday game that was almost snow, or snowed off in 67. I remember going to that as well and um but you know i, I didn't want to come across as, as just trying to jump on the, on a bandwagon i wanted it to come from the, the fans so i really just you know as the as the emails came in memories came in it's just my job to to try and reduce the repetition because obviously you can imagine a lot of the stuff was repetitive um sum it down edit it in a in a in a readable sort of format and, and how long did that like take format. to structure it must have been like you get all these bits of paper together and you've got to try and find um, some sort of structure to put them in yeah we started off with the, the sort of 11 chapters which is it's pretty standard pretty basic things and it all sort of fell into place that wasn't hard really structuring it it was being careful not to have too much repetition where for example we'd do a chapter on favorite goals or favorite matches and and inevitably, you know, 
Thierry Omri's goal against Man United or the, the last one he scored against Spurs would crop up time and again. So it's, it, it was really my job was to try and find different angles on it and different lines from different fans so that it wasn't all just saying great goal or, or terrific run. Or I'm kind of like just flipping through it as we're, as we're talking. There's some brilliant, brilliant photographs. Um, not only that, you've got um, pictures of old programmes, scarves, um, jerseys. It, it really is an essential book for any Arsenal fan, uh, especially someone just who's probably just started out supporting Arsenal five or six yeah. years ago. This really does build up the history. Um, yeah. Was there a point where, where you got to in the process where you thought, do you know what, I've bitten off a bit more than I can chew? No, um, it was a labour of love, um, even though I'm not an Arsenal supporter. I did enjoy it because I enjoyed the history of, of football as a whole um, and particularly a club that's steeped in it. And it was always going to be some books you can work on. You think it's going to be a bit downbeat. Um, you know what the angle is here. It's, you know, is there going to be any joy in it? But obviously, you know, it goes without saying what, what the success Arsenal had over the years, particularly in obviously the Wenger years, um, that you knew that it would be a lot of joy in it, a lot of good memories. Cool. So they seem a long way play. away at the minute. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, but it, it's nice to work on stuff like that because you can feel the fans' joy coming through uh, off the off the paper, off the email, if you like. Um, regarding the pictures, oh, um, a lot of the, again, the credit there deserves should go to the, the contributors, many of whom sent in their own pictures. We couldn't use them all; some were just not suitable, low res or out of focus. But many of them are, are contributed by the fans, and it fantastic uh, response to that um, and they've all you know pictures taken from different angles at Highbury different vantage points and inside and outside the ground so wanted to make a point of um, it being not the boring stock photos that you would get from any agency which again a lot of books do rely on and have done yeah. over the years so a lot of fans input and also images you touched on there about um, I think we've got Sabutio teams and scarves Hand, handmade, handmade scarves, stickers. Well, there's, um, there's the old black and white pictures as well, which are really engaging because yeah. they're all squ- all squashed in like sardines, aren't they? Still smiling. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I wanted the images to be the types of things that fans would associate with as collecting, as like when they were kids, when they were growing up. You know, they collected programmes, they collected stickers, you know. Um, some of the stuff they wore to a game, you know, badges, rosettes. I mean, they don't do that now, but um, it's all part of the hybrid history. Anything I remember as a kid, and it was an FA Cup final, and uh, you know, just starting to form your association, and you got this this rosette that was bought for you, and um, it was like it was almost stapled on the name and all that sort of thing, but it had a, a real charm about it. Um, yeah. What's been the reaction to the book so far? Good. Um, very positive. We've not had any... Um, anything negative really at all i mean everyone obviously as you'd expect many of the contributors were the first to buy it so i suppose they they, they grasped it straight away they, you know we didn't need to sell it to them um but everyone has said um how much they've enjoyed uh reading other people's views um and you know it, it just resonates if you read something you think christ yeah i remember that or it reminds people of characters we've got to capture on characters that were seen on the the Highbury Terraces, you know, um, long forgotten, but 
by many, I guess, but hopefully you read this and, and think, God blame me, I remember that that guy or that that old lady or that girl, you know, and uh so that sort of, that sort of thing really it's evocative. I like to think that it'll bring back memories and, and it's timeless, you know, it's something you could pick I think what comes across time, with it you? is um because you've got so many contributors but there is a, a definite flow going through. There's not like uh, that's kind of drop down where you're going from one thing to the next. There is a nice steady flow about the book. And that's hard to do with so many people contributing. Um, have you yeah. had anything from ex-players? No, we, we, we didn't. Um, I did Because, again, they've all written their books. You know, the, the, the Tony Adams, East Thierry Omri's, Arsene Wenger, um, Liam Brady, um, you know, I did at one stage think because I, I got to know Liam very well when he, when he, Liam Brady, when he came to West Ham. So I could have phoned him up and, and, and got into it. No doubt he would have been very helpful as usual and done the forward. But then I thought, no, I, I, I just didn't want to go that way. It was that's predictable to get, you know, try and get players' views would have been uh, against what I really wanted to do. I wanted it to be about the fans and written by the fans, you know. I think that's one of the things, the glaring things that come across is it's uh, it's a fan's perspective. And that's that's a great thing. You know, that's what makes it really yeah. viable. Um, are there any plans for a second book? You know, because uh, there's so much material. Did you have so much left over? You think, oh, you know, six months down the line, I might do another one. Um, we'll have to see how this one goes, Tom. <laughs> yeah. um, it's early days yet. And, and we really see it, as, as you say, because it's timeless. It's not going to fly out the ship, out the shops tomorrow. Um, hopefully, it'll be a bit of a Christmas gift for someone a stocking filler. Um, but, but not not at the moment. But you know, it's never say never. You know, it's um, I suppose if a lot of people, I think the thing we would do is we probably if we got a lot more new contributors, is, is probably take up the option of doing it as an ebook and add to add to what we've already got. We could change some, add some more pictures, change the pictures. And obviously add to the editorial. So I think that would be the next logical step. Have you got any favourite stories from your time visiting Highbury and uh, watching Arsenal? To be honest, if you're looking purely from a, if I think just personally, because I I don't want to try and bullshit your your, your listeners and viewers by saying that I remember this this game and that game. Um, But I did go to quite a few. There was a kid in my class called Steve Pierce, and he's, his dad was a black cab driver and he took me to Ivory quite a lot. I'm talking early 70s, 71, 72. It was around the time just after, or the double, double year, and just after the Fairs Cup win in 70. So went quite a few home games then and we should stand at the clock in down right on the green railings at the front, looking up at Bob Wilson uh, through the net. And um, But then later on in my sort of journalistic career, uh, there was quite a strong connection with Arsenal because our company, the company I, I was a publisher of in London, we launched Gunners Magazine in um, the monthly official Gunners Magazine in uh, 96, just before Arsene Wenger was appointed. And it was a it was a real interesting time at the club because obviously you had Paul Merce and Tony Adams um, coming out about their problems. So there was a lot. The club was a focus of attention. And it's really before the internet. So monthly magazines then were really sought after. I mean, I can remember our sales of Gunners magazine were that was certainly 10,000, 12,000 a month, which would be unheard of now. In fact, 
I don't think I can't think of any club that's even still got a magazine. Maybe maybe Arsenal still has. I'm not sure, but a man you possibly, but everyone else who just fell by the wayside and was taken out by the internet, uh, just overtaken by events. You know, you can't. There's so much on football now, isn't there, out there that you know, it's all, a magazine just becomes out of date. You know, in, in hours really. As you um, say, but, the internet's near near enough yeah. knocked a lot of them into a cocked hat, hasn't it, really? It has, it has. Uh, but there were some funny things on that. We we had a we had a, a little football team that played on the pitch. We did. We played an eleven aside. A Gunners magazine had an eleven aside team. And we played on the pitch at Highbury on the hallowed turf, and uh, I think it was like an eighty minute game. But so that was really special. And using the dressing rooms, the heated floor. I mean, that was an honour, really, when I think back. I didn't want to miss that for the world. I think, I think we all had to pay some 100 quid each to play. But, and that was quite, you know, that was well before the last game at Highbury. So it was just, that was an honour. And I remember part of the contract we had with the club uh, before the magazine um, involved, I had to go to, had a one-on-one meeting with David Dean in his office in the, yeah, the, the, the new South Stand, if you like, at the clock end. And um, it's fascinating, really, because... He was a really engaging guy. Liked him a lot. Really nice to deal with, um, gentleman. And uh, but one of the things that struck me was he had this really sort of small desk. It was it was a big desk. It was a small desk where there's only enough for two people to sit at. He sat one side, I sat the other, and, and it and it was held up. The legs of it were a paper mache of David Rocastle's legs with yellow yellow away socks and a blue blue hoops at the top. Uh, the eighty nine league winning kit if you like away kit they wore at Anfield and um and, and, and added our boots yeah, that you know that held up the table it was really weird that, oh, funny um, funny a funny touch and uh, I'll tell you that my my claim to fame was um I used to play football for a boys club called Chart House and we we're in a particular league the Bermondsey League and um it was a competition it was the personal keep clean competition so if you didn't get red cards or yellows or any of that bad behaviour, uh, late for a game, all that sort of nonsense, they had their own league table. And uh, Chart House came top of that. And the prize was to go round Highbury long before all the tours, uh, uh, you know, that they have nowadays and in the dressing rooms, out on the pitch. We weren't allowed to actually walk on the old uh, green carpet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a fantastic thing. And to look at the stadium when it was empty as well, because, you know, as, as a kid, you go to the stadium and mm. there's that big buzz that goes around. It's a fantastic yeah. sound. Yeah. Always makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, even today. But yeah. it was quite weird because I went to Highbury, standing there, absolutely empty. The hairs were still up on the back of my neck. It, yeah. was, like, uh, it yeah. was like a dream. Yeah. I mean, the, they, they talk about the marbled halls. Um, you know, I suppose in some respects it becomes a bit of a cliche, but it, it's very true. I mean, uh, it was a special place. I mean, and, and you got that feeling the moment you walked into it. I mean, I remember, I think, you know, because we doing different magazines, we got a press pass. So like we had a press pass because we were doing Gunners magazine. So I would go to home games. If it was a particularly attractive one, I'd go to the home game. And um, that's part of the deal. We we could go and, I, and I'd often go take the opportunity. To go and watch anyone there, really, it wasn't you just go down West Ham there. And I think Arsenal were the first to have a, a proper press room with a, the theatre style, you know, podium for the managers. And every, everything they did was, it just 
it was just oozing class, you know, and uh, you always respect that, no matter who you support, you've got to, you've got to acknowledge that. I mean, it's lovely to see any stadium, uh, apart from Old Trafford, that looks a bit rack and ruined, but um, yeah. every, every stadium's got its outside and inner charm. Um, but Highbury, it was, it was just the design of it, um, you know, the uh, Art Deco kind of style and vibe <laughs> that went throughout the whole place. And then yeah. uh, the way it used to be run, maybe not so much now, but, you know, in yesteryear, it was run incredibly well. Um, not so good at this stage. Uh, have you ever been to West Ham's new ground? I've been there once, to be honest with you. I'm a bit I'm like yourself. I'm a, I got, I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit of a dinosaur. I love, one of the reasons why I really enjoy doing hybrid memories <laughs> is because I love retro. I love the past. Um, I love three o'clock on a Saturday. You know, I love <laughs> jumpers for goalposts. It's all a cliche. I love muddy pitches. I mean, the hybrid pitch, you know, typical what pitches were in the 70s and 60s and 70s and early 80s, you know, uh, although, although Arsenal had undersaw heating before anyway, so he was at a good pitch. But, you know, that was one of the good things about doing the book. I enjoyed reading about people's experiences and because they would talk about matches that I hadn't been to or hadn't even heard of, obscure goals, obscure incidents, you know, um, that that made up that was after fascination for me as well it's, it's quite weird as well isn't it because the weather conditions they used to play in all sorts of weather you know frozen pitches uh you know snow on the ground they'd they'd scrape it all off and it's still snow there but they just used to chisel out the areas and uh yeah. also, and, and and the swimming pool in the goal mouth <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it was there was the um just to get on with it sort of attitude wasn't it i mean talking about retro after we did Gunners Magazine, the company I was at was called Independent Sports in the West End of London. And and I had this brainwave. It didn't last long. It wasn't a good idea, as, as, as my boss would tell me now. But I, it was a, we launched a magazine called Action Replay. And it, again, this is 1996, just after the Euro 96. And it was an explosion of football magazines at that time. And we just thought, I just wanted to do a retro magazine so I could add the excuse to go and interview old players. And one of our cover men, I think it was issue, we only lasted seven issues and they, they, put, they, they put a block on it. It wasn't making enough money. I was heartbroken. But um, I think issue five, we put Charlie George on the cover and we got in touch with him and I made a, a rendezvous and did the interview with him for a couple of hours in, in, in one of the boxes at, uh, at the clock end. I mean, part of the deal with Arsenal we had, we had to have a box. Our company had to buy a box for the season. I think it was like 100 grand investment. The whole package was what we paid Arsenal, plus we had to buy a box and obviously the catering for all that had to be paid for. So we spent probably a couple of hundred grand to, to have that contract. And I thought, well, one off, it wasn't a match day, it was midweek and there's no one in the ground. And wouldn't get in the toilets for that now. <laughs> I said well, you wouldn't get in the toilets for that now. No, no. <laughs> but Charlie was a fascinating company and as you know, and everyone, every Arsenal fan knows, he's a... Um, he talks in the heart and he's asking through and through and uh, it was a pleasure to interview him as it is with all those players all those ex-players are a pleasure because um, they get different times uh, a lot more candid Who's your um, favourite player from down the eras that you've uh, you know you've followed Liam Brady, or... Liam Brady would be Charlie George would be my first as a kid because I, I would have been 11 in double year so Charlie George would be my first Arsenal hero after, after George Armstrong I mentioned earlier then Liam Brady um, midfield maestro 
one to the left foot. You know, again, sorry, a bit cliche, but he was just brilliant, wasn't he, Chippy? I mean, he, he and I was so pleased when he came to West Ham because in 87, he, he'd been to Italy, obviously, and he was at the end of his career, but he could still do it in, in 1989. He was still scoring great goals and still stroking the ball around. We were talking on the podcast, myself and Jay, and uh, just I, I said to him, he could still do it now. He, he just had so much class. Yeah. It didn't need to be fast because everyone bangs on about yeah. how fast you got to be. But Brady had a set of skills that uh, I think he could play today, no problem at all. Yeah, he had a fast brain, didn't he? That's where he had to speed up there, you know. I mean, obviously, the other ones in more recent hybrid times, Omri, of course. But I, I love I love uh, Bergkamp, I think, you know. Bergkamp and Omri, are they? Who's the, who's the best ever foreign import to the Premier League in the Premier League era? Um, hard call, but Bergkamp for me, you know. Super he was something all extraordinary, wasn't he? Something extraordinary. And he crops up a lot in the book. You know, he's him, him and Omri inevitably do. Um, for more recent fans of a more recent age, a younger age. Um, but 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 Burkamp was was you know he's golden touch, really. What a sign! Tony, where can we buy this book? I'm just showing the uh, YouTube. Well, the best place to buy it because it's hard to get into individual booksellers now, and there aren't many books shops around. You've got Walter Stones, and we're trying to get it into there. But it's a small niche title in their eyes, and to, to them it's, well, you know, we may or may not stock it. So what I'd really like is, is for, your, for your followers to, to, get, to get it direct from us. Um, it's, on, it's available from our website, which is uh, footballworld.co.uk, footballworld.co.uk. And the whole thing's a labour of love. Um, my wife's, my, we, we work from home. We're an independent, minute books book uh, publisher if you like sports book publisher we did we did a, a memories book on Essex County Cricket Club as well for my sins right we're going to run a competition uh, to win a copy of the book so uh, everyone can stay tuned for that Tony it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you um, I wish you all the best with the book and thanks for coming on the podcast thanks very much Tom it's been an absolute pleasure thank you thanks to all cheers From Nepal to North London, from Delhi to Dagenham, from the terraces to the armchair, it's an Arsenal Thing podcast. Football's in our DNA. We asked you via the available social media platforms your opinion on the half-and-half scarf. And it wasn't very favourable in general, I'm afraid. James asked, what's the problem? I don't see any harm in it at all. Too many people with too many opinions. All right, calm down, fella. Joycey T said, I wouldn't be seen dead in one. Who are they meant for? Tourists. They might like them, but they're not for genuine fans. Mm, Okay. Simon K says, another crap marketing idea by someone who hasn't got a clue about the sport or its fans. Mr. Angry. Gary Red Gunner Mills. Oh, Gary, nearly extinct. I've got several from bigger games, usually when we've won. I think they are collectibles. And imagine having one where Arsenal beat Real Madrid in the Champions League final. Wake up, Gary. You're having a fantasy mare. We also asked you, who was better, Czech or Seaman? 90 minutes list had shovel-handed Pat Jennings at number 14, Petr Czech at 16, David Seaman at 25, in the 25 greatest goalkeepers of all time. I said I thought it was a typo, surely. So we asked you lot... And this was the result. But before we go any further, stop making up your own answers. 
Hey, I give you a list and that's not good enough for you. Oh no, you want something else. You want to add one of your own. Well, stop it. They weren't on the list. Pat Jennings wasn't on the list. There were two people and it wasn't Pat Jennings. Having said that, Pat Jennings, who wasn't on the list, stressed, underlined, exclamation mark, got a few votes. But who came out on top? Was it Seaman or Check? Check or Seaman? Seaman. Drum roll, Dave. Thank you, kind sir. Petr Check came second. So obviously, David Safehand Seaman came first. Which was not a shock, to be honest, from a personal point of view. Czech was a good keeper. He was a great keeper for Chelsea. David Seaman, he was far better for Arsenal. I mean, Czech playing for Arsenal, Seaman playing for Arsenal. There's no real contest. And you can stop throwing in your Shiltons and your Banks and your Laymans and all that. They weren't on the list. <laughs> Dave, have a word with this lot, will you? It's time to enter the gun room for a natter. Welcome to the gun room. Jay's with me again, as per usual. Jay, we've got so much to talk about again. Um, transfer window closed. What, firstly, do you make of the signing of Takahiro Tomiyasu? <laughs> well done with the pronunciation, by the way. I've been working at that, uh... Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like everybody else, a bit of an unknown. I don't really know. I've never really seen, well, I haven't seen him play at all. By reading some of Twitter last night, uh, he seems seems like a pretty steady player, quite versatile. Can play at centre-back and right-back. I, I mean, obviously, hope he hits the ground running. And <laughs> Well, he can't be uh, any worse than what we've got. I mean, you know, no. Chambers filling in, Cedric is a bit patchy. So he's a, he's a central defender, but he can also be a right back and a wing back. And he costs us yeah. 20 million plus three on add-on, on add-ons and bolt-ons and all that sort of thing, which is yeah. pretty common course now, isn't it? He can play on the left, but he's right-footed, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. There's been a mixture of feeling about him because um, I don't know whether you're watching Sky on the deadline day, Carvis Solokol, who yeah. I, I used to like, I used to trust. Not anymore. Mm. Um, no. He was just poking fun. Apparently, he raised up his mobile phone and said, oh, yeah, I've just had an agent on the phone and, and says, like, th- these are not the words, but, he, you know, he's not very good. Yeah. And they all started laughing. So I thought, oh, you're off, mate. And I turned him off. Yeah. Yeah, he's come across as a bit uh, a bit full of himself, hasn't he? Uh, and I was the same as you. I used to kind of respect his, his opinion, but he's, I think he's tried to, to carve out a bit of a, a character for himself in the public eye, hasn't he? Yeah, a bit of an idiot. Well, he even got up at one stage and he went, oh, I just had an agent ring me. I'll be back in a minute. And off he ran. I was like, yeah. come on, you know. Yeah, well, Any, well, anyway, did. let's talk about the rest of the... Um, the transfers that we've had mixed messages even today i've gone on uh social media some are happy some are looking at the long-term plan which i think you know realistically you've got to say that's what it is yeah. it's not for the here and now is it no um no. what are your thoughts in general well i think we touched on touched on this a little bit last week and uh i said that i think it is going to take time and we may have to just this season may just have to be sort of written off i know nobody wants to hear that but these guys need time to settle in. I, I, I just want to ask, like me personally, um, I I'm happy with the incomings. I think they are. It's a different approach. We've gone for the younger players. We, we we've strengthened in certain areas that we needed to strengthen in. Are we looking at the new players a little bit harshly 
based on how the team is doing. So if we'd have got a result against Brentford, so let's say we beat Brentford and we got something out of the Chelsea game. Just say that happened in a, in a, in a different reality. Okay, so we're sitting on four points. We scored a few goals. And there have been some positives. We haven't seen much of Lukonga. Well, we've seen a bit of Lukonga, not so much. Not so much. We haven't seen much of T- Tavares. Obviously not the new guy. Uh, and we've only seen little bits and pieces of Erdegaard and Ramsdale. So they haven't really affected the team much. And we haven't been very, we've, we've been obviously poor. Let's say the results were different. I think we'd be looking at those players in a slightly more positive way. I think it's, if that makes sense, I don't know what you think of that. You know, the general feeling around Arsenal the the club itself is the opinion of the club and the reputation of the club is taking a real hammer in at the minute. And I just wondered what you thought if we were playing better, would we look at the new signings better? If that makes um, sense, undoubtedly, yeah. It's it's mm. a results thing, isn't it? And um, yeah. ideally, as we said not too long ago, you'd like to get all these players in pre-season. Mm-hmm. And if anything, we've been a little bit slow to close the deals. Three games yeah. in to get your last player is is a bit poor. But, yeah. you know, deals have to be done. It's not exactly round the corner, is it, to secure the right back? So we've done that deal now. But, yeah, if we were playing better, if there were performances, yeah. I, I think a lot of this negativity would just disappear. Takes one yeah. win, one, one really good sound win, as we all know, and then Arsenal are going to be up there. I mean... You know, no points at the minute. But if you get three points, you know, and if you, if yeah. you trounce someone, you're climbing. Mm-hmm. And it can well yeah. happen. Arsenal were yeah. way too good to go down. I don't know why everyone's panicking. It's not an ideal start. Um, it's the worst start since the 1950s, apparently. Yeah. So I, I, I take I take everyone's point. But, you know, calm down. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, there's the outgoings. We all know that we had a, a huge amount of deadwood at the club and in one way or another we have got rid of it a lot of it maybe not in you know maybe we haven't sold we obviously we've only managed to sort of receive a transfer fee for Willock when in in reality we were probably hoping for maybe to sell Nelson maybe to sell Nketiah and and a few others so I think from that side Edu uh, and the club have uh, not done as well as they could have done they could have sold some of these players I know it's a difficult market but other clubs sell have sold you know, Chelsea, they've sold very well. But we have moved them on. You know, the likes of Torreira's gone. Obviously, Willian's gone. So uh, all in all, I think it's been it's been a good window. And, and like we touched on last, last week, we wanted the club to move in a different direction. And we have definitely done that. These players just need time now. Well, according to Sky Sports, we spent £156 million. At the beginning of the transfer window, I had no idea we would uh, spend that amount of money. And uh, we've invested in the future. Because in the past, we've been buying 32-year-olds, you know, 30-year-olds, and it hasn't worked. So we had to do something different. We did. I mean, the players have to be have to they have to be good as well we can't just sign these players just because of their age they have to you know they have to deliver and they they need to be part of this immediate rebuild and the long-term rebuild it's it's difficult isn't it at the moment because things are so negative and and so depressing around the club but like you just said we're only one or two wins away from the feeling around the club improving well it's quite interesting because i i uh listened into another podcast i know it's slightly naughty but i thought i would harry simmer you whose podcast guest was Lee Scott. He's an author and an analyst at uh, FM Analysts. 
Uh, Lee's profile says he's working on strict profile ID using various custom built dashboards to identify interesting players to pass on to video scouting teams. And he tweeted um, about Tommy Asu and he said Tommy Asu to Arsenal would be a good move. He's versatile enough to play at right back, central defender and good at progressing the ball and breaking lines. For all Arsenal have had an awful start, their recruitment has been good. So that's one yeah. variation. You've got a positive there of someone I think is quite trustworthy. Yeah. But on the opposite corner, you've got Chris Sutton. I wouldn't blame Arsenal fans for being pretty underwhelmed, he said in the mm-hmm. Daily Mail column. That's, that's your giveaway for a star, isn't it? Daily Mail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've ended up as top spenders in England. I make it just over £150 million. The lists, uh, list of names, it doesn't give me any oomph. The sense that this is a game changer. None of these are the finished products, not even white at 50 million. It's a very big investment. So, yeah. and it's, it's worse when you go on social media. A lot of the fans that I've read recently, they're just not happy about anything. No. No, I mean, I, I, I have to admit to you, I, I am still, I was a little bit underwhelmed as well because I still think there are there are areas of the squad that needed uh, improving, you know, and there was so much work to do. I, I just, I did have that feeling of uh, we, we haven't done quite enough. But at the end of the day, the total spend, um, that's more down to other clubs knowing our need is <laughs> a lot greater than other clubs because we, we we were not in a great not in a great way we weren't in a great way at the end of last season and those are, the other clubs obviously pick up on that so they're going to demand top dollar for their their players um, but yeah you only have to look on Twitter for five minutes to see that it's impossible to please everybody but uh, overall I mean you know is, me now is the rub yeah. though Odegaard could be a £60 million player in the future Easy. yeah I mean a lot a lot rides on him doesn't it he's the key man for us he has that influence and he's, he's quality so from that point of view Edu did it has done, you know he did a, no, that's a good piece of business I'm uh, just going to give you a couple of other things uh, Phil McNulty chief football writer for the BBC highlighted everyone's transfer dealings with the exception of Arsenal there's no no bias there, yeah. is there at all? Um, yeah. Arsenal didn't feature in the top 35 transfers of 2021, uh, courtesy of 90minutes.com, which was headed up by the Messi transfer. And NBC Sports opted to use a school grade system. And Arsenal came bottom of the pile yeah. with a D. Arsenal moved yeah. on big earners to balance the books, but uh, this was a poor window. It seems like they just kept signing players that nobody else particularly wanted and they paid big money to do so. Let's see how this experiment goes. We were lower in that list than Watford and Crystal Palace. Well, it's just it's lazy journalism, isn't it? Like, you know, Ben White was in demand. Uh, Lukonga was the captain of Anderlecht. You know, Erdegaard was he's a Real Madrid player. Um, so it's just lazy. Again, I mean, we've said it quite regularly on, uh, you know, on the pod recently. We just it's, we're an easy target, and it's just 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 lazy journalism. Out of everyone who was available, and we had our fingers in some various pies, um, who would you have liked to see come in? The mm. one missing component for you? I think we need. We- we needed a striker. I think we needed maybe somebody who can, uh, you know, lead the line a bit more. We need. A, we, I think we need, or we needed, and still need um, a bit of physicality up front. Um, now, obviously, I, I haven't got anyone. Off the, you know, just thinking off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody. But this, just that type of player, when things get difficult, just to basically just to pump it up to and hope, hoping they can hold hold the ball up. So, and obviously, there's the, the centre midfield. But but for me, it was it was a striker, and I know they're hard to come by. And um, 
But but yeah, what about you? Who who do you think, or where do you think we needed to strengthen as well? I would have liked to see some sort of massive uh, central defender come in, someone who's yeah. all muscles and uh, not necessarily yeah. someone with an awareness of where the ball yeah. was, not necessarily fast, but someone who yeah. could power someone like Lukaku, because that's why Lukaku's been bought in at Chelsea, is to yeah. just ram over everybody. So I'd mm-hmm. like to see a Sol Campbell type figure. That would yeah. have been my go-to. And then a creative midfielder again. I would have liked mm-hmm. to have seen just another one. Because if Odegaard gets injured, it's all on uh, Emil Smith-Rowe. Yeah. It's not good yeah. enough, really. No. It, it, I mean, Basuma as well. Been heavily linked with him. But the longer it goes on, I think it, more likely he's going to go to... Um, there's this talk of him potentially going to Liverpool. But it, it would have been nice, you know, if, if, you know, yesterday we get to... 10 o'clock going into the final hour of the transfer window and we pull out a Basuma, that would have been a great transfer. But yeah, still areas to improve on. I mean, I suppose there's always the January window. We could maybe move then if, I mean, we don't know who the manager's going to be <laughs> potentially by then. Um, but uh, I mean, what would you Spanish give the win- Michael, gone, no. <laughs> what would you give the window out of 10, both for incomings and outgoings? I'd say it's an eight. Right. For me. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of things to smile about. I, I know that results would have made it a bit more of a smiley situation, but uh, for mm. me, yeah, I, I thought it was a positive window. I haven't seen many like this. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably go for it. Maybe just a tad lower. I'd probably go for about a seven. And and I mean, there's no argument now. This squad is Mikel's, isn't it? You know, these are all Arteta's signings. Um, and, um, you know, there's players in there that you... <laughs> you know, unknowns, I suppose, to to the, you know, to the majority of us. Um, and they need to hit the ground running because if they don't, Mikel's gone, you know? So... Who'd ever heard of Patrick Vieira? Yeah, very true. Very true. I mean, you, I mean, Wenger was the king of pulling out, you know, Petit, you know, um, God, you know, off the top of my head, stepping offs <laughs> uh you know even the likes of sylvan wiltord uh you know gilberto silva i know they were they're international players but yeah yeah i mean it's going to be exciting either way it's going to be interesting it's going to be exciting to watch these players bed in and uh, and get accustomed to the league um are you disappointed that we didn't get rid of as much driftwood i had a thought on it and I thought, well, you know, when you're playing well and you've got some, because def- I think we're a bit too top heavy in defence and we've got some slow footed players that we need to push on. Um, yeah. But I suppose he's going to ride it out to the summer now. But you can't really get rid of these players when you're at the bottom of the Premier League. If your defence yeah. is quite solid and it looks pretty useful, then it's easier to sell off players. But, you know, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as well, you know, the majority of these players are on huge contracts, aren't they? As well, you know, your likes of Kalasanac, um, I think we were all expecting him to, to be gone or going. You know, he's on he's on huge money. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've got an interesting one for you on that. Uh, yeah, Fenerbahce club president, who's got the charming name of Cock, <laughs> uh, says the Turkish giants balked at the financial demands of Kalasanac and his representatives. Three million euros per season, plus a three million signing on fee. And apparently, um, Crystal Palace would have taken Enketia. But again, the agent 
and the demand for fees, and that yeah. killed the deal. Mm-hmm. So yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? What do you make of the Maitland-Niles saga? Because that's been mm. rumbling on a bit, hasn't it? First, he goes on Twitter, and he says he yeah. wants to be wanted, and he wants to play. Mm. And then there's rumours of a move to Everton. <laughs> Arsenal block that. Uh, there's more rumours of him not being in Arteta's plan, plans, but he's been blocked. And mm. then, um, instead of training with the under-23s, he's going to be included with the first team. It's all a bit of a strange do, isn't it? And Arteta has apparently now said he's in his plans. What's going on? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only thing I can... The only conclusion you can come to at the end of it is um, that you, you, you use the word rumours. There's, there's, oh, there's so much rubbish being regurgitated um you kind of just want Mikel to come out and just clear certain little things up don't you you know you kind of you want a bit more clarity from the club or more so from the manager you know because uh especially with social media I mean I don't know if if, uh, I don't know if it's just me or I don't know if you picked up on it as well like this window just seems more than ever to so many rumors so many rubbish stories so many um, just untruths that you have to sort of sift through. And, and this, I mean, first and foremost, I did see that post that Maitland-Niles put on uh, Instagram and Twitter and social media. And I mean, I suppose you got to feel slightly sorry for the lad. Um, he He's talented. We spoke about him before. We both like the guy, don't we? You know, he's he's, he's a good player. But I mean, you look at the the, the players that are playing in his preferred position, which is the right side of defence. You've got Callum Chambers and Cedric, who they haven't had the best of starts of the season, have they? And he hasn't, Maitland-Niles hasn't figured at all. So it, it, it's confusing. You kind of just want Mikel just to come out, clear things up, draw a line under it. And this is where we start from. And I hope this is where we are now, because I, I never wanted to lose Maitland-Niles uh, because he's shown he's a quality player. He's shown he's got a little bit about him. And if he is given the chance, he has to really push on. But again, we've gone and signed that Tommy Asu. So this is my point. So if he is in Arteta's plans, where, where's he mm. going to play? Yeah. Yeah. There's not a position available for him, is there, really, in case there's an injury, maybe? No. I mean, Granite Shack is missing now for the next three matches. So I know I know he hasn't really been mentioned about playing in centre, sort of central midfield, but he could he could figure there. Um I thought this this preseason more than any other this summer was the the right time. Well, or I suppose we all thought Ainsley would move this summer just because his career. So he went to West Brom, didn't really do that well. Came back, nobody really considered him to be in Mikel's plans. Mikel hadn't given us any sort of signal that he would be. Um, but personally, I'm glad he's still at the club. I still think he can offer us something. Um, and I'll and, and I'll be honest with you. I'd play him ahead of Chambers. And I was Cedric just going to say that. I was yeah. Just every say day that. of the week. Every day of the week. We'll get to the city match, and we'll touch on that slightly because there is a it's a comedy of errors, isn't it? Eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm just gonna I'm gonna vent my spleen. I'm really hacked off because I went on to various sites and then saw that Miguel Aziz was on a, yeah. a season long loan at Portsmouth. <laughs> And I thought mm. he'd break through this year. And I was like, yeah, what is way. he doing? Is it, do you yeah. think some of the decisions that Arteta's making, do you think it's because he's under incredible amounts of pressure at the minute? I think, uh, I mean, I know we're going to touch on the City game 
shortly. Um, on the face of it, sending a young player out on loan to a, a club slightly further down the leagues is what all clubs do, right? Um, but like you just highlighted, it, the decisions made by Mikel are becoming even more confusing. You know, the Saliba issue, him going out to Marseille when we're so weak in the central central defence, uh, and obviously Lacazette's going because he, you know, he had such a good season last year in the under 23s so highly regarded as he's um but yeah i agree with you very difficult to understand Mikel's thought pattern um don't well know. here's my thing uh, saliba might not be showing all the qualities for a premier league defender but he had all yeah. the potential everyone was raving about him um are we saying that saliba as it stands now and he's, he's getting good feedback from where he is now yeah, he's not better than what we've currently got. I'm sure he is. Yeah, yeah. When, when you go to City and start Kalasenac as your left centre back, so I, I mean, I refuse to believe that Saliba's no, you know, worse than Kalasenac. Um, Rob Holding, pretty solid. I would still, I mean, Callum Chambers, you know, he has shocker against City. Saliba would do better. I'm confident of that. He would do better. We spent 27, the best part of 27 million pounds on a centre-back, which, you know, is quite rare. Spend that much money on a centre-back and we just haven't played him at all. The transfer looks, it looks like a crazy deal. Um, And and, and as these loan moves materialise every year, it's another year off his contract. And you just know that at the end of it all, Saliba will go end up. He'll go and end up playing for, say, Paris Saint Germain, and he'll be one of the most respected centre halves in, in Europe. You know, and we'll be like, oh god, we we really cocked that up. You know, here's the um, thing: if we don't start introducing him to the team, he's not going to sign an extension. He feels no, a bit mugged off at the minute. Of course, and you can't blame him. And, and I mean. You just don't want him to to go and benefit some other side. You, you know, you don't want him to end up at say City when he's twenty eight, twenty nine, and he's he's the best. You know, he's another Vincent Company, and we've we've messed it up. You know, um, yeah. We're going to carry on talking about um, Arteta and these decisions because I think it's worth getting to the bottom of some of these defensive combinations he comes up with. I know there's been injuries and there's been COVID and all that, but they don't make any sense. And no. then he insists on this uncomfortably playing out from the back. And yeah. uh, no one really looks that comfortable with it, do they? Leno in no. particular. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, Mikel's also got this obsession with having a left, left-footed, left-sided centre-back. You know, he's got that, you know, and I think it's, it's another one of his decisions, a bit like uh, similar to when he was consistently playing Willian last season. It's almost, it's becoming detrimental to the team. No, I mean, when we saw the starting lineup against City, literally every every uh, right-minded Arsenal supporter looked at that and thought, right, we're playing Manchester City, Champions League finalists, current Premier League champions, and we've got, say, Klasenac at left centre-back. It's. I mean, the, a couple of days earlier, it was being rumoured that he was almost gone. You know, his contract was almost torn up, and that, and he's starting. That's what you know, I couldn't he understand. No, and another uh, against West Brom in the cup. It's not like he had an absolute stormer. 
You know, he was just an average. He was he was Kolasinac, and, and to see him in that starting lineup, I mean, it, I mean, I, I, I messaged you, didn't I? Saying I WhatsApp, you saying it was just baffling, and, and it's another one of those Arteta decisions that um, it, it's just a head scratcher. It's just very very difficult to get your head around what, what he's seeing that nobody else sees. You know, Don't well, know. there's there's the one where he plays William instead of Pepe. Then he plays mm-hmm. Cedric or Chambers instead of a fit Bellerin. I know Bellerin wanted to get out, but yeah. come on. And then you've got, uh, you know, insisting on the services of Xhaka. And then yeah. you've got a pairing of Mari and Holding who yeah. lack any pace. Yeah. Ooh! Yeah, I mean, this uh, is what there's last season, there was um, Martinelli. We didn't see anything of him, did we? You know, these <laughs> these decisions that, that Mikel makes. Um, and, and, he, and, he, and again, it goes back to what I was saying about the clarity. You know, I think he would help himself, Arteta would, if he just, I mean, you don't have to go into great detail. You don't have to go into every single decision, but you know, these big decisions that, um, that supporters pick up on, if he just clarified a few little bits and pieces, he'd help himself. And, and I think the, the supporters and the fans would, would respect him a little bit more and feel a little bit more connected with him, if that makes sense. Like, you, you, you know, okay, he's going to make mistakes, but at least if he comes out and explains a few little parts of his decision thought pattern, then I don't know. I just think it would help him in a hell of a lot, to be honest. Probably the one that hacks me off, as um, Isaiah calls him, is the milkman, Chambers. Uh, he's an enigma. He's neither a central defender nor a right back. Uh, he yeah. was a holding, uh, defensive holding player, wasn't he, for Fulham? Yeah, yeah defensive midfielder. Yeah, um, yeah I've got that round the wrong way to know that. <laughs> he should have been eased through the door about three or four seasons ago, shouldn't he? He should have been holding hands with yeah. El Nenny, skipping away down to the airport, surely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he doesn't... I don't know, Chambers, I think... He's, he's 26 he play, years of age. He's not going to get yeah, any he, better, is he? <laughs> no, he's, he's had a few. I don't know. He, his delivery sometimes can be quite good from the right-hand side. He can deliver a good cross into the box. But he's not built like your typical fullback or wingback. He's built more like a center, central defender. But he can't really play in a three. He's probably best suited in a back four. But he's not. He hasn't really got any outstanding attribute. You know, he's an honest guy, Chambers, but he, he's not particularly that quick. He's not that strong. He's not great in the air. He's sort of average. Um, and, but again, if you're, is there a market for someone like that? Do, do, do teams want to buy someone like him? You know, I can't imagine, say, I don't know, who came up from the championship, Brentford. You know, he's on huge wages at Arsenal Chambers. Is Would they go and spend money on Callum Chambers? Probably not. It's difficult to shift him out, isn't it? You know, because he's not not really showed. I think a lot of these sort. guys are going to be on the end of their contract, you know, right up until the, the last day. Because you can't sell them yeah. off. Simple as no. that. Let's move no. on to that City game then. Oh, delightful. <sighs> right. Um, I saw the team sheet. And as we was talking last time out, I said, oh, sneaky, yeah. cheeky, one nil win for the Arsenal. But then I saw that <laughs> I saw that come up and I thought, oh shit, that's it. Yeah. That's popped my balloons. Dreadful. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, it, oh, no. 
Now, again, it's it's a very very difficult to work out what he was thinking. I mean, can you can you look at? Obviously, we went for a back three. We we set up to be defensive. Um, but ultimately, if the players that are playing are basically crap, you're going to get beat. Because I, I honestly, City would beat us anyway, even with Gabriel, even with the new right back, you know, even with Thomas Partey. If we were at full strength, they'd have beaten us. Um, but setting up like that, I mean, they must have thought, Pep, when he saw that starting lineup, must have thought, bloody hell, we're going to absolutely destroy these. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it was just, it was totally avoidable. I mean, I did a blog just before the uh, the game and I sent that off. Uh, I, I wanted a 4-4-2. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of just bolts out the back and the middle. And you yeah. say you had a Lacazette and a Bamayang. I, I thought that was probably a good setup. But mm-hmm. obviously it didn't pan out that way. Um, Defence looked unable to cope with any type of ball. I mean, the first goal was through the air. They couldn't cope with that. Shocking. Um, And then the rest of the goals, uh, they were just low trajectory balls, weren't they? Yeah. I mean, just just going back to the first goal, um, I think it was Jesus, wasn't it, that crossed it and it went to the back post and Gundogan, who's about four foot nothing, popped it in with a header. And I, I mean... I think there's a debate whether uh, Leno could have done a little bit better, but I suppose it was quite close, close range. When, when, the more I saw that, the more I kind of wanted to give Callum Chambers a bit of a benefit of the doubt. It looked like he kind of misjudged the, the flight of the ball, you know, because ultimately, regardless of how, how I don't want to say how bad Chambers is, because he's not totally useless, but he can head a ball. I think you would expect him nine times out of 10 to clear that. It looked like he just misjudged it, which I suppose is, is, is his fault. Isn't it? Um, but, it, I mean... He's six foot as well, isn't he? You would expect him to head it. It looked like he just misjudged it. And I'm, I'm trying to help him out a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there was the, uh, you know, Grealish, you know, he's... he's, he's, he's He's very good dribbling the ball, very good drawing tackles, drawing fouls. You know, the, our right side, you know, Cedric and um, and Chambers were absolutely bricking it, weren't they? Every time he had the ball, they, they didn't know whether to tackle, they didn't know whether to press. So what? So basically what they did was they they sort of jockeyed him up, you know, and, and, and not do anything. They jockeyed and jockeyed and jockeyed. And then when it got to the point of actually tackling, Grealish was already two steps ahead of them, uh, and he wasn't the only one. Um, the back yeah. line was really yeah. flat, wasn't it? It did. It wasn't very mobile. They were very static. No. And when one of those no. low balls came through the the defence, no one stuck a toe out. It just no. cut I mean, right the way through. No, and you want you know Rob Holding, I suppose, is your senior defender there. You, uh, you know, if that was say Per Mertesacker, who's the, the the central of the three you would kind of want him to to basically drop about five yards behind the other two in a sort of a sweeper. You know, you know, if, if you get in, you know, so, so let's say we've conceded the first goal, Gundogan's just scored the header. This is where you need somebody like a Mertesacker to go, right, for the next 10, 15 minutes, we're going to get absolutely battered here. So what we need to do is I need to drop, 
we just have to sacrifice the offside. So let's forget about the offside trap. Mertesaka should be talking to Leno or, or, or holding, should be talking to Leno. Leno should be, and those two themselves should be marshalling the, a, a back four in front of them, if that makes sense. So it is a five, but what holding I think should have done is dropped five yards further back. So you've got Kolasinac to his left, you've got Chambers to his right. Two players that aren't sort of well known for their communication. But I think if they're told what to do, drilled, they could have done a, a lot better job than they did. So then you've got Tierney on the left and you've got Cedric on the right. I mean, Cedric had a shocker, but I think with a bit of leadership and a bit of direction, we don't have to lose the game 5-0, do we? You know, I think we can we can dig in and we can say, right, for the next, like I said, for the next 15, 20 minutes, we are going to get battered. So what we need to do is we soak it up if we get in at halftime 1-0, we've still got a chance. We're still in the game. Uh, but, I mean, it was such a such a um, worryingly weak, um, it, uh, you know, it was such a fragile performance, wasn't it? It was just such a... It was tough uh, I mean, to watch. It, oh, and it was more that, I tell you, personally, for me, it was, it was really embarrassing. You know, I came away from that and... I mean, I, I did watch it till the end and I did think about just leaving it. But I did watch it till the end. And I just thought for the first, for one of the very few times in my life, it was just a performance. It was just so embarrassingly. Um, it almost like this isn't Arsenal Football Club I'm watching here. This is, this a, is a, a parody. Two results like that. And one was against Liverpool where we got slaughtered and the other one was against yeah. Man United. Yeah, the 5-1, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there have been games that in the past where we've been battered, you know, and, uh, and you kind of hold your hands up and go, you know what? The other team have been great, but City, they didn't really have to, they didn't have to press the accelerator pedal too much, did they? It no. was just, it was such a really... Um, a really poor performance. And it was a reflection, I think, of Arteta. And I think he he's coming across very weak. He's coming across uh, fragile himself. Um, Showing misplaced loyalties as well, isn't he, really? Mm-hmm. To players I mean, that don't deserve it. No. I mean, let's talk about Shaka, the red card. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> you know, you, you talk about... Um, you know, so so okay. So let's let's start with. Do you think it was a red card? Um, well, that's an interesting one. Uh, I didn't particularly think it was that ugly. Uh, I thought it was a little bit over the top. Uh, but it's Xhaka, isn't it? Xhaka yeah. does these these. He has this rush of blood to the head, and as soon as it's uh, oh, it's Xhaka's done that. Is it? All right, there you go. Um, yeah. So I I didn't. It was a bad looking tackle. It was clumsy. It was. Late. He was off the floor, wasn't he? Yeah. His feet were, both feet were off the floor. And like you said, his reputation doesn't help. Referee very quickly got the red card out. But I think in reality, I think, and I know many said it at the time, if, say, Bikeo Saka's on the end of a challenge like that from somebody else, we would all be screaming for a red card, right? So I think it was a red card. Um, and then he's going off and Arteta, like, pats him on the back. You know, like I would have slapped I, him round the head. Well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I said at the time, I've never been so in. Uh, what's the right word? I've never been 
Shaq is one of those players that has really wound me up down the years, but not as much as I was at the weekend. I was so furious with him in, because it's a position. We were, what was it? Two nil at the time. Two nil. Yeah. And, 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 and the supposed leader of the team, the one that you see in the warm up, who's g them all up, who's talking them all through what you presume are phases of play, what to expect. Look out for this. Look out for that. Half an hour in, straight red card. And he's let the team down. And, the, and Arteta pats him on the back. And I just thought, get out of our club, Shaka. Just get out. You're not, you're, technically, you're not good enough. You're a fake hard man. You, you haven't got you haven't got a pair of balls. You think you have, but they're hanging from your head. You know, he's 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 like I say, just a, a false tough guy. You don't like um, him then? <laughs> no, no. I, and, and we should have took we should have took whatever offer Roma were were were, were offering. Um, and then, but then again, still, I don't think you have to lose the game five 0 I still think. I still think you can. You, okay, you're not going to win, but you don't have to get absolutely slaughtered like we did. You know, yeah, totally embarrassing. Listen about that yeah. penalty, right? Um, did you see the Pogba challenge on Neves? Uh yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it, the, it, his foot went over the ball, but he didn't. Shaka came in at a sort of an angle down, didn't he? Whereas yeah. Pogba was a bit a bit more horizontal. Uh, he went over the top of the ball and it's Man United. Um, well, I asked Keith Hackett, you know what I'm like. I, I wanted Fantastic. some clarity. So I, I gave, yeah. and he's, he's still talking to me, which is brilliant, after I annoyed him last time round. And I said to him, uh, what did you make of uh, the, the Pogba challenge on Neves? Uh, shouldn't it have been a red card there as well? And he said, there is a difference. Xhaka launched himself with both feet off the ground at this point. He cannot turn or stop and therefore used excessive force, endangering the safety of an, uh, of an opponent. Um, it fulfills the law on serious foul play. So it's a red card. Uh, Pogba was reckless with contact and did not consider excessive force was used. Therefore, a yellow card offence. Uh, you'll appreciate that in Pogba's incident, VAI, VAR criteria does not allow him to intervene if the referee has not made it clear that it's an obvious error. Um, So there we go. That's Keith Hackett's view. Um, Mm -hmm. I must admit, when I first saw it on the first uh, play, I I, I was like, oh, bloody Pogba. You know, and then when you play it back, you think, well, it's not, it's not quite the feet off the floor thing, is it? No, no. Doesn't look as aggressive, does it? No. One thing I was going to say to you, uh, those five goals, do we have to keep saying it? Five, five <laughs> nil. Uh, Leno, uh, I yeah. thought he was particularly weak in a weak team. Um, yeah. Three of those goals, I, I thought he could have done better. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did pull off a great save. Yeah. Is, is it time to now just see what Ramsdale can do? I think so. I think so. I think um, we're just delaying delay the inevitable. Um, Leno's not going to stay, and I don't think he's like like we said. He, he, he's got it. He's a good shot stopper, and he's he's got it in his locker to to pull off some uh, uh, you know good saves. Um, and he's he's a good goalkeeper, but his his heart hasn't looked in it, has it? His no. head hasn't looked in it, but his heart hasn't looked in it. He doesn't. Um, I never get the impression that he actually cares that much. 
burnt Leno. And I think we're just delaying the inevitable. Ramsdale has been signed to ultimately um, play long-term. So, yeah, I would play Ramsdale. Don't, what would Certain you goalkeepers have a presence, don't they? They get in that old yeah. box there and they fill it out. Seaman used to fill out a box. And you could always think, mm. oh, well, if they do get beyond the back four, Seaman's there. But you don't yeah. get that same impression, do you? All the great no. goalkeepers uh, down the years um, have always had that presence. He hasn't mm-hmm. got it at all. No. no. Yeah, I mean, you, you, a bit later on from Seaman, you know, Jens Lehmann had it. He had that that aura about him, you know, he was a bit mental, but he ultimately he was at the, at the, at, at the very basic level. He was a, he was a good goalkeeper, really good goalkeeper. And similar to Seaman, whenever Lehman wasn't playing for whatever reason, whether it was a suspension or injury and our backup keeper came in, they just, you didn't have that same feeling of, of safety, did you with those players? And, and, and with Leno at the moment, uh, I, I think if Ramsdale played against Norwich, you wouldn't notice any difference between the two. Um, and I would, I would definitely look to to try and implement uh, Aaron Ramsdale into the starting eleven. Well, let's have a look so, at this uh, going forward. Um, it's a bit hard to see where we're going to go because we had one attempt to City's twenty-five. <laughs> I mean, that's quite staggering, isn't that really? Oh. You've got to ask yourself, 18 months on, yeah, what's gone on? What what have we mm-hmm. actually improved on? Because everyone's going to ask this, so I thought I'd yeah. ask it for them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so with that in mind, do we need a little bit of perspective? Do we need... Do we need to add a little bit of perspective? Yes, please, we're, bring it on. We're only, we're only three games in. And two of those games are against the European Champions League finalists who, I'm not being funny, are financially on a completely different level to us, right? The Brentford game, we should have done better. Absolutely. We should have won the game. Some people will point to the fact, you know, the first time in the Premier League for Brentford, it was the first game back after... You know, fans were allowed in, 100% capacity. Um, but in reality, I'm happy to, I mean, not happy, I suppose, but I am content with the idea of the first three games of the season before the international break, let's put them to one side and let's see how we get on until the next international break, which I think is November. And if we haven't, if, if we, I mean, we're going to win a couple of games, but if we haven't won a considerable amount of games and we haven't seen a considerable amount of improvement, then we have, I think we have to replace the manager. Um, I don't know what. I had a message from Bill. Uh, It's an Arsenal thing for at gmail.com for anyone who fancies having a moan or a grumble or a whinge. Why not? Come on, come and join us. Um, Mm. He says, Bill says, Emery was poor at times, but there were some highlights such as the Spuds comeback and the 22 game uh, unbeaten run. He got yeah. the sack, and Arteta has given us the worst start to a campaign since the 1950s, the lowest win rate percentage. How is he still in the post, Bill says? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but you know, the, last, uh, the back end of last season, we won five on the bounce. If you put those together, and it was the first eight games of this season, we'd have won the first five of them. So it's easy to forget that there has been highlights for Arteta. Um, 
this is definitely a low light. <laughs> definitely, definitely. We aren't, <laughs> yeah, we aren't in a great place. But like you, like you said at the, at the start, at the beginning, we're only one or two wins away from feeling a lot better about things. We've got players coming back. You know, it's, let's say we pick up three points against Norwich and I think, it, is it Burnley after that? I think we've got Burnley. Let's say we pick up three points in that game and we've got Thomas Party playing. He's come back in and his partnership with Lukonga maybe starts to look promising. And then you've got Gabriel. He started training, I think, this week or played this week. He comes back in and Ben White comes back in and they start to develop a bit of a partnership and we look a bit look a bit stronger. Granted, it's against teams that are that, you know, ultimately that we should be beating. But you start to feel differently about the club, don't you? Start to feel differently about the team. So I mean, what, 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 for you, what's um, what's the absolute? I suppose uh, what's the timeline for Arteta? What what? How far do you get? What, you know, how long do you give him? Or I think realistically, I, there's two trains of thought. I can see the long term plan. I can see there is a plan. You get younger players, get them developing, mold them into a team that is artistic but uh, solid as well. That's yeah. going to take time. But the, the short term is that if we're down the bottom of the table, uh, mid-November, end of November, Arteta's got real problems trying to convince us that there is a process because you hear that so much, trust the process, yeah. the process this, the process that. Process doesn't add up to points. Fans are interested in points. They're interested so you in said, trophies, but they want points. Yeah. I mean, you, so you just said November. So let me give you this scenario. We lose to Norwich. Well, I was just going to ask you that. I think we are, we're in that territory. I think if we lose to Norwich, everybody's expecting us. That's a crucial game. Yeah. So we lose to Norwich, or I think if if, if we don't beat Norwich, I think if we draw, um, I think our artist is in, in big trouble. And then obviously you've got the Burnley game. And then obviously every game after that become, becomes even bigger because you have to win. Um, so if we don't, I think if we don't beat Norwich, I think Arteta is in massive trouble. And, and, and rightly so, he should be, because it's not good enough. I've you got know? a feeling we'll do those two games. I, I think we'll, we'll somehow muddle through. That's the optimist in me. But uh, at the moment, it seems a million miles away. Love the shirt, by the way. Um, <laughs> let's wrap up. We've been waffling on, but it's there's so much. And uh, everyone yeah. has to bear with us because it's trying to to wrap up the transfer window and everything yeah. else and the uh, sort of mood, really, of the Arsenal fans. Jack Wilshire, free agent. Um, yeah. Can't get can't get a club. Something no. wrong there, isn't there? I mean, he's yeah. only 29. Yeah, it is sad. Um, he apparently he's, he said he hasn't had an injury for nearly a year or over a year now. Um, but unfortunately, his injury record... Um, Everybody knows it, don't they? It's sad because he was such a talented player, but uh, I mean, I'm sure he'll end up somewhere. Um, you kind of want him to be training with the club, don't you? You want him to be training with Arteta. You want him to training with with the Arsenal um, because you saw it so often with Wenger, didn't you? With players that were struggling to get clubs or, you know, uh, out of contract players, ex-players would go and play, train with Wenger's Arsenal. Um, 
So, it yeah, puts it in perspective, doesn't it, about all these kids hoping to be the next so-and-so, and then you've got a yeah. player like Jack Wilshire right up there. He was the flavour of the day, uh, mm-hmm. and injuries just took his career away from him. It's really, really sad. I hope he doesn't retire because he's talking about that. He's thinking about yeah. that already. Um, let's change the subject. Um, I know that you've got a, 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 a bit that you want to add in at the end. Um, yeah. Over to you. Yeah, I just wanted to mention. Um, so today, um, the 1st of September, it would be Jose Antonio Reyes' 38th birthday. Um, and I'm sure the majority of people listening or watching um, will know who Reyes was. Um, and if you don't, he um, he signed. He was signed by Wenger from Seville, um, and he was um, Spanish, sort of a, a small type of short in stature, very quick, very quick footed, um, and scorer of great goals. Um, he was a, a player that was that was feared by Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, um, and he was he was part of the Invincibles, the famous Invincibles team that went obviously unbeaten through, through the season, uh, maybe left, was transferred by Real Madrid and left a little bit too early for a lot of, you know, we, Arsenal supporters certainly didn't want him to leave, but he did leave. And uh, a few years back, he was killed in a car crash. So I just wanted to say, um, I just wanted to remember him really. Um, he was, uh, he was a big, big favourite of mine. Um, and it was so sad him it was so sad when 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 the news of him dying came through uh so yeah what what were your memories of him um what were your thoughts of him as a player such a skillful player as when they first unveiled him i thought how's he going to manage in this league because he was so small and so slight uh but yeah. he was a wizard on the ball and he left mm-hmm. you he just uh, and as we were saying before we came on um when Man United decided the only way to get him was to kick him yeah. up in the air. And they did that yeah. all day long. You know, yeah. that was the only way to take him out. Really shabby. And if you if you looked at that today, I think about five of the players would have been sent off. But he was um, he was magical, skillful, yeah. fast, athletic. I mean, for, for, those, for some, you know, he scored, I remember, I think it was his debut against Chelsea in the FA Cup at Highbury he came off the bench um, and he picked up the ball about 35 yards out turned left foot straight in the top corner in front of the North Bank um, run up, ran off obviously brilliant scenes and yeah I just wanted to mention um, Jose Antonio Reyes you know uh, brilliant player what could we do with someone like that now yeah, yeah. top of the range wouldn't he Jay it's been an absolute pleasure to speak yeah. to you in the gum room again and I'm sure we'll, well, we've got the international break, haven't we? So uh, we'll yeah. have plenty to catch up on. Hopefully, um, for your sake, it won't be an hour next time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try and condense it down. Hopefully, Arsenal don't uh, cause us too many problems and we don't have a massive <laughs> script. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming on, Jay. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers. So it's your chance to win a copy of the brilliant Highbury Memories. All you have to do is look us up on Spotify, like and share 
or go to our Facebook page, share and follow on the post for episode 21, leave a message saying done, and we'll announce the random winner on podcast 23. Every goal, every disappointment, every good decision and every bad decision, from the first whistle to the final whistle. Me and the wife went on a date night in Dover. It's not as glamorous as it sounds. That was the fish and chip gig we had in Monte Carlo. Um, we went for a curry. Can you still say curry? I think you can. We went to a curry house that will remain nameless. Uh, all right, then. It was the Cinnamon Island. I said to the slightly vacant chap who greeted us in the lobby, table for two. He looked straight through me. So the wife chipped in. Uh, trying to get a response. And she said, have you got a free table? And he said, table for three? And I said, no, an available table for two people. And I had to hold two fingers up. So, bit of a confused start. We sat down and waited for drinks, which arrived after 20 minutes. Did they have to run down the pub, the local pub, to pick them up? Anyway, so we sat down, we're waiting for these drinks, they turned up eventually, during which time I nearly tripped up the vacant-faced man twice with my overly large size 13 feet. It wasn't going well. Then we wanted more drinks and I said, two pints of Cobra please, and he stared back at me again and said Coke, and I had to point at the name on the glass, Cobra. I reckon we were served by someone's dad or uncle or something who's not used to serving in the restaurant. They said, we're a bit short tonight for one reason or another. Can you fill in? No one will notice. Well, we did. And the fact that he actually gave me my main course and didn't give me a knife and fork. So I just, you know, like you get in these places and you don't want to be a pain, do you? You don't want to draw attention to yourself. So I just ate my main course with the spoon that arrived with the dishes. <laughs> but it was a fun night. So Cinnamon Island, if you want to have to explain yourself over and over again, if you don't want to, if you want to eat with your fingers, uh, the food is absolutely exceptional. I've got to tell you. Hi, I'm Dennis Burkkamp, the non-flying Dutchman. I can hit a coconut with a golf ball from 50 feet because I'm a football god. The party's over, it's time to cut it Yeah. Thanks for listening. Please, please, please like, follow or subscribe. Take part by dropping us an email at itsanarsenalthing4 at gmail.com. You can send us an MP3 with a question or a comment to appear on the show. Look up the blogs at arsedevils.com or americanarsenology.medium.com. Thanks to Dave, Isaiah and Jay. Look them up on Twitter as SilentDave101, Arsenology, and The Bull Gooner. Thanks to our guest, Tony McDonald. Shout outs to Sir D, Brannon Murphy. The music was by Soundroll, Queen and David Bowie. Please check out the YouTube version of the show and please like, follow or subscribe and look us up on Facebook and Twitter. Right, let's put you out your misery. The answer to Who Am I was Ray the Romford Pele Parlour. Thanks for taking the time to join us and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and well and remember one crucial, crucial thing. North London is red. Before we go, I'm going to leave you with this. The perfect song for Mikel Arteta and Edu. Give me just a 